This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today we look at the historic event, as prophesied by Hosea, of God's discipline of the northern tribes of Israel, and also his promise of their restoration. Good day everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here once again with Thad Keenel, and we're bringing you the Planted Podcast. What's going on today, Thad? I'm not sure where to begin. This topic that we are covering here for the past uh, nine episodes and now going into number 10, at first seemed like uh, we were going to be um, almost drudging through uh, some really thick, swampy waters, like we weren't going to be able to get out of it. And last week, I think we started to turn the corner into some exciting transformations of what true Israel is really looking like and how Israel is going to go through history. Right. You know, and then we're gonna, we talked about last week the lost tribes a little bit, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, we're going to see what that might look like if they're really truly lost, right? Today a little bit. Yeah, we'll maybe. see if we get there. But uh, <laughs> we, might, we might get in some more swampy waters today. But, uh, but yeah, we have, I think we have turned a corner. You know, we've been in Romans um, 9, yes, last time, you know, right. to, to get through some of this. And we had, you know, we had some discussion about just the whole separation of the two kingdoms, even in terminology with Israel and Judaism and stuff. And as I was listening, I was really disappointed in myself because I didn't say dates correctly. Um, I think I even acknowledged I was maybe getting them wrong, but you were you were pretty close. But that, that's what happens in a conversation, you know. You're within a yeah, de- yeah. But I, but my seminary professors would be very disappointed in me because it got these things were like drilled into me <laughs> to remember. <laughs> so just to be clear, the northern tribes of Israel, the date of of kind of their dissolution and defeat by Assyria is 722 BC. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the pretty much the accepted date. Right. And then the fall of Jerusalem, which would be when uh, Judah's finally defeated and taken over by Babylonians, is 586 BC. So I just want to get out there clearly and and say it and get that weight off my shoulders. <laughs> you know, that's all I've so been thinking that, about. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, again, this becomes important as we continue to look and and talk about this because we're going to be looking at some of the terminology and things that are used and, and going back to some of the prophets. And when the prophets in the Old Testament are are speaking, they're speaking very much into that context, especially the ones who are writing during the split of the two kingdoms and they're forecasting these uh, the, the impending day of the Lord, the impending... Uh, defeat uh, God bringing his judgment through these nations and coming and doing these things. And so uh, so we'll be probably referencing some of that today. But I, I want to pick up a little bit or just review a little bit from where we got, where we went last week in talking about this switch of terminology that, that I, we, I've noticed Paul start doing in, in Romans 9, where he starts, where before he'd been very much talking about the Jews and the Jews and the Gentiles in his ministry to the Jews, his heart for the Jews. And here in 90 starts 
in using the more inclusive term of Israel. Right. Uh, and so, and in doing so, we were kind of following his argument a little bit in that, uh, and and bringing some of this out and. In, in ways of a little bit of recap, I just want to read a little bit, a few little sections here from uh, N.T. Wright's commentary on his New Testament for Everyone commentary. So this would be Paul for Everyone, Romans. Um, and so uh, he's here speaking on the in verses uh, 9, Romans 9, verses 14 to 24. And he says here, in a little bit of a summary, he says, the, the present passage reaching its climax in this image of potter and clay, so this is the whole potter-clay discussion, is in fact a continuation of the story which Paul started in verse 6, the story that is of Israel in the Old Testament. And so I, I'm going to pause here for a minute. This is a little bit why we went back and told some of that story of, of Israel and we, we took time to, to like, when did it, that name come about in Jacob and going back and looking at some of those accounts, because it's very much wrapped up in all this, even in this, you know, Romans 9 to 11 stuff, sure, right? Sure, yep. So he says, um, this story that is of Israel in the Old Testament, we move from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the time of the exodus from Egypt with Moses leading the people out despite the opposition of Pharaoh. From there, we come forwards into the period of the prophets warning Israel that it was going off course from God's purpose and that if this persisted, God would have to remold and remake Israel in a new way, not because God was forgetting his promises, but precisely because he was being faithful to them, right? And so that's what this discussion about the potter and the clay and all this is going on about. Uh, And God is obviously... Being the potter, he's he can choose to do it the way he wants to, right. um, but he and he did it by means of using these other nations and the exile, taking people out. And we're going to see how in Christ and and the message going, you know, into the nations that that he's going to be restoring these things. Uh, but I, I want to read another uh, section from a little bit later in his commentary on some. Uh, the end of, not the end of Romans 9, but leading in kind of the section, the end of where we got to last time, because we we kind of got to the point where we uh, briefly got into the quotation from Hosea, and we want to go back and look at Hosea a little bit mm-hmm. today. Um, but here he says, as he, here now he's reflecting on um, 9 verse 6 through verse 29, so he's carrying this on a little bit further into as we get into this uh, quotation here, he says, In the course of this long argument, 9, 6 to 29, Paul has said a great many things which we need to ponder carefully. In particular, we must remember that he's discussing ethnic Israel as the people of the Messiah, albeit according to the flesh. What he says in this passage belongs closely with several earlier parts of the letter, two in particular. So now he's, he's reflecting and summarizing how what he's saying here in this part of Romans 9 is actually related to some of these sections of 1 through 8 as well. So he says, first, in chapter 3, he explains how God must go ahead with his promised plan, even if Israel proves unfaithful. The way God will do this is by sending Jesus as the faithful Israelite, the Messiah, through whose death and resurrection God will fulfill his saving purpose. Second, in chapter 7, he describes how through the law, sin gathered itself to its full height within Israel in order that 
through the death of the Messiah, sin could finally be condemned as it deserved. These two passages taken together point in the direction of chapter 9. Here Israel finds itself called to a particular and even very strange role in God's purposes, that of being apparently cast away in order that God's powerful plan of salvation can go forwards. Paul never spells this theme out more fully, but it seems as though he's looking at his fellow Jews, at himself indeed, as people called, whether or not they understand or cooperate, to be part of the saving plan which reaches its climax in the casting away of the Messiah himself to the cross. His apparently harsh words are to be understood in light of the even harsher reality of what happened to Jesus. This will enable him in what now follows to explain his continuing desire that more Jews should in fact find God's way of salvation. So I read all that to say that again we remember that Part of his argument in all this is, is him talking about his desire that all Jews would be that the, the Jews would be saved, and with this now he's even bringing in all Israel into the conversation. Right. So maybe just uh, remind the listener. You just said two things that sounded similar to me. You said Judah and Israel. Yeah. <laughs> so which is it? Okay. So he's he uses both terms again. Judah is part of Israel. Uh, in, when we talk about all Israel, or Israel as the 12 tribes, okay? And so the Jews are part of the 12 tribes. So Judah is, um, to kind of recap what we said last time, is the, the either called the, like the southern right. part of Israel. So or the Judah is one of the tribes of the southern kingdom, and it just kind of all got lumped into Judah. One, because the king, David, was of the tribe of Judah. Okay. Okay. Right. And so, um, so the three tribes included in the southern kingdom would be Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites. The Levites that were in that part of the, the land, right? Right. Or and most of the, and many of the Levites would be would have been serving in the temple, right. which would be in Jerusalem, right? Right. So you've got those three tribes, but they're all collectively often referred to as Judah. And what ended up happening is during the second temple period. Other nations, I think, especially the Romans, started calling them Jews. Uh, one because of the just the, their Hebrew language, but also just they were Judahites, right? Right, and, and they were kinda... the primary tribe. The, Ju- the, the Judites yeah. were the primary tribe known in the exile. So that would the, so even though yeah. it's Judah, it would it would include. Benjamin and of course the Levites and stuff, but right. and even some that might have trickled in from the other tribes, right? And as we talked about last time, Paul himself would say he's a Benjamite, right? Right, and but, he, but knowing that he's a Jew, right? Because he's for he's part of that southern kingdom, but he but he grew up in Tarsus, yeah. He so, he hailed from the land of the Israelites, <laughs> the northern the northern area, yeah, yeah. or yeah, or even the Gentiles, right? Been, been up further in Turkey. north, right? Yeah. So. Uh, we bring that up because, you know, that terminology becomes important. And so we sometimes we have to ask ourselves, you know, Paul, when you talk about Israel, are you talking about the northern tribes or are you talking about all 12 tribes? Right. Because Israel can mean both of those things. Right. But so for the listener and, and, and for me and yourself as well, when we are reading, uh, we want to start to be aware of what it means when it says Israel, right. right? Because I mean, the United Kingdom under David and Solomon, 
uh, didn't last very long. Right? Right. Right, right for Solomon, his two sons, and um, there was the division right between right. the northern and southern tribes. So, I mean, that United Kingdom, because I mean, you can't really say Saul was part of the United Kingdom because he wasn't an honorable king. I mean, in a sense, you said that it was it was united it's because kind of, I mean, yeah. the people were coming back, but they decided to They take hadn't a, divided at that point. And he did. There were periods of time where... They kind of became united under him, right? But and so, the, so a lot of people, a lot of scholars would say there was 120 years. They right. each had 40 years of reign, and there was this kind of 120 years of a united kingdom. Sure, okay. it's just an easy way right. to kind but of. That's talk a pretty about small it. portion of history. It, it's a very small portion of right. history, right? And so, as we th- consider that, I would say there is potentially another Israel usage that we can think about that Paul seems to be alluding to is that is spiritual Israel is that who has the faith of Abraham. So, um, so it, or true Israel, sometimes we say, right. mm-hmm. you know, and, and so in that sense, we could, there could potentially be three uses of Israel. Israel as all-inclusive uh, in terms of genealogy or ethnicity. Um, Israel all-inclusive in terms of true spiritual Israel, those who, who have true faith in Yahweh and in New Testament church, Jesus Christ. And again, I just want to note here that I'm not a supersessionist. I don't believe the church is superseding Israel when we include the church in Israel. It's the fulfillment of the include. It's it's by inclusion in the true spiritual Israel, not replacing. It's not we're not not, not a replacement theology, not a supersessionist, right? right? It, but it is more inclusion in. But true in is, the same manner that the Lord speaks of being grafted into the vine. Exactly. And, and because true Israel is going to believe in the Messiah, right? right? And so all, all Gentile Christians are believing in the Jewish Messiah right. as their Savior, right? So that's that terminology. And, 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 of course, Jews would be included in Israel when it's talked about in the all-inclusive way, but it is a subset, Right. In that sense, and Paul often, when he's referring to the Jews, he's referring to Jews who are not believers in the Messiah. He's wanting them to become believers in the Messiah. So, he, in that sense, he's very much talking about the Jewish believe one who's bound to the Torah. Because you could even argue there would be some people who could have converted to Judaism who wouldn't necessarily be ethnically related to sure. Judah or Benjamin um, or Levi, but but they did become practicing people of that. And that could have even happened in the dispersion. Mm-hmm. In the diaspora, there could be Jewish converts in Tarsus at Paul's synagogue who, um, who weren't necessarily ethnically Jewish. I mean, that could have been happening throughout, sure. you know, as well. Yeah. So... Um, so just interesting to think about some of those things. But but I also want to bring up as we're as long as we're talking about terminology, because this will come up today, just as the southern tribes all kind of got labeled as Judah, what ended up happening with the northern tribes, sometimes referred to as Israel, but sometimes it's also referred to as Ephraim. And so we'll see in Hosea today that Ephraim becomes a term kind of like Judah, that that tribe which we talked, I think, a little bit about last time. We may get in more today. Sure. Is was is actually not Ephraim's not a son of Jacob. He's actually a son of Joseph. Right. We'll get into. But uh, Ephraim, why is Ephraim the t- the title for the northern tribes? Well, their first king, Jeroboam, the first, which I think we mentioned in the last podcast, he was an Ephrathite, right? 
And so I think that their line of kings came through Ephraim uh, in the northern tribes. And so that's why Ephraim is the title for them and Judah for... Uh, Just as David from Judah, we have Ephraim from... Yeah. So, uh, So anyway... As we come back now to Romans 9, uh, and we see that as, as we kind of were summarizing and bringing back into this, that God is again choosing to do what he's doing, and he's kind of in this remolding fashion, right? Uh, and so in his remolding, what, what is, why would he be quoting Hosea as part of this in Romans 9? When he says the potter has the right to do with the clay whatever he wants to, verse 23, in order to make known the rich of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for glory, 24, even us whom he's called not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of of the living God. Now, as I read that, and as I read Paul's question in verse 24, and it's he's saying, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, and he quotes Hosea, I automatically start thinking, oh, the not my people, he's talking about Gentiles. Right, and that would be true if you hadn't read Hosea. Right. <laughs> so you have to you have to go back because the the not my people is a translation. Of yes. something, right? Yeah. It's, trans, it's a translation of a name that is given to the to the, one of the children of, of Hosea, and so there's. So the, we need to go back and look at look at what Hosea is all about, right? But it's very interesting for us to consider why, or ask the question: Why is Paul associating the Gentiles, who of course aren't? We could easily call them not my people. I mean, that would be a common thing. The Gentiles are not. The people of God, you know, Israel is, or you know, the Jews are, and Jews, the Jews and Israel. Right. So, but as in all, as in all, as in all things, New Testament, when it quotes the Old Testament, um, that's always a key to look it up. Exactly. You know, you have to look up and you have to know the context if you want to know the right. bigger part of the story. Because if we just say that's that's Gentiles, um, there's it's very true. It's a very true statement, but it just isn't the complete story. It isn't because what happens in Hosea, the people of God are cut off, and, and, and God declares that Israel is now going to be called not my people, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So it's actually, we'll find that it, that it really is a puzzle piece that is intentionally cut out in order to be put back together, right? Right, right. and that has to, you know, that's another thing for me to always be um, keeping in the back of my mind is as because of the fall and because people tend to stray and because of this repeating story of the disobedience of, of Israel or whichever people the Lord's talking to, um, is that the Lord is always working toward this restoration. Yeah. And so well, what, what is restoration? It's not just about making something new. It's about fixing something that's broken. That's what right. restoring is all about. Exactly. And so Israel here is broken because of their disobedience. Right. And that restoration is gonna right. is gonna be, you know, the part of the story here, the big part. Yeah. Yeah. So all right, we we mentioned Hosea and so we need to just tell the little bit of the story of Hosea. And maybe I don't know if you can do this in the show notes, but 
uh, Thad, I might, if you could maybe put a link to the Bible Project's review of the book of Hosea, because sure. I think that'd be great. If, if, you, if you go on our show notes and want to listen, or you can obviously just Google it or YouTube, you know, search YouTube and find it. But to, it's, it's a nice, quick summary. And a, yeah, they always know, do a really good job yeah, of summarizing so that, it in five or help. six minutes. Yeah. I think that would help. Okay, but, yep. but for us to do this here for, as you're listening is uh, God, Yahweh, calls Hosea— um, it says, in the days of Uzziah, so this gives us a historical context of when... Well, I know Uzziah from Isaiah, but, yeah. right? So yeah, so, it's, so this is going to be, you know, kind of a little bit... Uh, this is when the when both the kingdoms are still in existence, mm-hmm. okay? So um, he's, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah... And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So you can go back and look at Kings and Chronicles and read that. I'm not going to take time to do that. You just put it in that historical context. But, but we know that he is um, a prophet raised up in that time. Okay, And the Jeroboam, the son of, of Joash, that would be, I think that would be the Jeroboam the second. That's not going to be the first Jeroboam we were talking about. Okay. But he would—he is often referred to as one of the worst kings. Mm. I mean, none of the none of the kings in the north are really good. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, you know, Israel in this time would be particularly awful in its worship of other gods and and doing things it shouldn't be doing. Okay. So it says at the beginning uh, in verse two, Yahweh spoke through Hosea, and Yahweh said to Hosea. Verse 2, at the beginning when Yahweh spoke through Hosea, Yahweh said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife and children of whoredom, because the land commits a great whoredom forsaking Yahweh. All right. Wow. So I say, beg your pardon? Yeah. <laughs> a wife of harlotry. He's telling his prophet to go marry a wife of harlotry. Yeah. Wow. Um, so Why? Well, he tells us because the land commits great hope. Now, the land here, you would be the people of the land, is you know. So it's not like the land is doing this; it's the people living in the land. And again, there's this whole association we have to realize is that the people living in the land are living there as part of a covenant relationship. Their tie to the land is is tied to their covenant commitment to God. They're, they're basically, they get to lease the land, <laughs> right, based right. on the covenant. And so uh, that's very important as we even, you know, talk about things today. But, uh, and, and what the exile is all about. Uh, but Hosea is basically living out symbolically what's happening. That and, and Hosea is is kind of becoming Yahweh in the sense of he's taking a bride for himself, and did, and this is one of the ways the scriptures talk about Yahweh when he entered into covenant with Israel at Sinai, right? This was kind of we and we we talked about almost like a marriage ceremony, right? It's right? very much the promises of a, of a marriage covenant, exactly. And so this is what's being lived out here, knowing, and and so. Well, I think we can infer in this. When Yahweh entered into covenant with Israel at Sinai, did he know 
ahead of time that he was committing himself to an adulterous nation. Yeah, of course he did. Of course he did, right? right? Well, now that I was going to actually bring something of that up as well earlier in the show, is that we want to remember, um, as you were telling the story, it sounds like um, there's a scenario where Israel is, is in covenant with God, and then they disobey, and God has to come up with a plan B. Yeah. But, but God's plan is perfect and eternal from the beginning. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and he right. he's the one that is putting all of this in motion and that history is a lesson for us, not for him to just try to figure out how to deal with us. Right. Right. He's showing us a bigger and better way that it's through his promise, that it's through his mercy, that it's through his grace and that it becomes through him giving up himself, stepping into the flesh to actually pay the ultimate price for what we couldn't do for ourselves. Right. And so we always want to keep that in in the back of our mind that God's not a plan B type of person. This is all plan A. It's just that this is, this is how he takes us through history. I mean, when we say history, it's, it's his story. Exactly. So just let me pause here a minute because what our listeners could be saying, could, could be saying this. Oh, so God just set us up. He just manipulated uh, humans and manipulated Israel and just set him up. And he just did all this, you know, for him to be able to do this. Is that, is that what you're telling us? Um, that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, there's a, you just stepped into a very deep theological <laughs> puddle. But uh, I think the idea uh, with God is that he works with his creation um, and we would say that we have free volition to do mm-hmm. to do things that we want. I mean, I chose the chair that I'm in right, right. now. That was right. a free choice. Um, but the one thing that's also true is that because of the fall and because we all recognize this within ourselves is that sin created a detriment that runs through all of us. And we have that through the, our federal headship yeah. of Adam, right. right? And so with that, the scriptures say that we're not entirely free because we're in bondage to sin. We become a slave to sin. And so, yeah, we're free to make decisions, but according to our own bondage that we're already in. Right. Right. And so God um, works with us and we still have the right to, to, I can, I can treat my little sister when we were kids nice, or I can pull her hair. Yeah. Right. And that was a, a, a free choice that I made. And right. I would sometimes face the wrath of that and learn the lesson the hard way. Right. Um, and that's, that is, uh, in, a very narrow sense or a very broad sense how God works with his people, I think. I mean, you can add on to that. I don't want to get too long into it, but there is freedom. But yet God is in sovereign control. And, you know, God's power in in his creation, I think this might be worth saying, um, he doesn't make people do bad things, but he does, and you read this in scriptures, he exercises restraining power over Pharaoh, for yeah, example, right. right? You know, so w- we would be tremendously bad if it wasn't for the restraining power of God in our natural right. in our natural right. lives. And so um, that's maybe a better way to look at it instead of thinking God is proactive and making people sin because that's not at all what the scriptures points to, but he does restrain people right. from right. being as bad as they could be. Right. And so when we think about God's foreknowledge, and we've talked about this in previous seasons about you know, predestination, election, all those kind of things, but when we think about his foreknowledge— it always is in association with all of his character. And actually, I'm coming more and more convinced when we see things like this, 
and what's going on in Hosea here. And we talk about God's foreknowledge. His foreknowledge is actually being told to us as a description of his mercy and grace. Mm-hmm. It's all tied to that. It's not some it's not some evil intent or it's not he's controlling us like some puppets or things like that. It's all there and being expressed to describe the fact that God knew what he was getting himself into. <laughs> right? And and he he could have stopped it. He could have chosen not to create humans, but because he chose to love us and because he wanted representatives and image bearers and partners in his creation who would respond out of a will, right? Mm -hmm. He entered into it with eyes wide open, knowing that he was going to need to do what he did in Jesus Christ, right? To bring it all back together. But that's what it's all there for us to have a deeper understanding of his mercy and grace. And, and, And I think sometimes people want to take that and twist it or accuse sometimes reformed Calvinist folks into twisting it into some kind of, you know, well, God just, you know, like I said last time, I think, well, God can just do with the clay whatever he wants, you know, with that kind of, and, and no, we're reading it wrong when we read it that way. Right. Is God is doing with his clay what he wants. Why? To redeem and restore and remold and renew, right? And so back to Hosea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one more, just one more quick point yeah. on that is that, that you always have to read the scriptures in light of their truth. And sometimes you have an apparent paradox, right? right? Where it sounds like it's saying two different things, but both things are true. It's just, how does that get harmonized? Right. And when the scripture speaks to us as humans, it says and holds us accountable right. for our actions. And so therefore I don't get a pass and saying, well, God just made me that way. Yeah. Right. Right. Because, I mean, this is what this is what we do. I was born that way, therefore I can fulfill my lust however I want. No, that's not true. I mean, my tendency might be, for example, to um, lust after another woman besides my wife. Right. Right. That's that's something that okay, I, I was born with that. Right. Well, that's part of the the fall of the sin nature yeah. that I have in me right now. Right. But that doesn't give me the right to fulfill that. I have to. I have to hold myself within the covenant of my marriage relationship. You can pick that on any um, part of whatever somebody's tendency is, right? Some people will say, well, I was born, I'm homosexual, right? Okay, I'll grant you that. But guess what? You're still responsible to not live that lifestyle, right? right? And and the Lord, through his grace and mercy, will give us the grace and mercy to live that out with the spirit living within our our lives, right? And so that's... I think it's just, you know, I, mean, we're, I know we're talking about this. Um. But, you know, the f- interesting thing with that real quick, Thad, is, you know, there are so many things that we that people accept that all the time and don't have a problem accepting that's who they are. You know what I mean? It's like I, I love basketball and I played basketball growing up, you know, and I had to come. In, I probably would have loved to play, you know, power forward in the NBA someday. But the reality is, I, you know, I, I was six foot you know, 180 pounds. I'm not going to play power forward in the NBA. I, and I, I, I can accept that. You know, we accept that a lot. We accept that, you know, I may want to fly from here to, you know, to Britain, but I don't have wings. I accept that. Right. You know, there's there are 
plenty of things that we're willing to accept that on, but yet, yeah, but when it comes to some other things, somehow humanity doesn't want to accept that. Well, that and, just that's that's how selfish our flesh is, <laughs> right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, so now, I mean, take take us through Hosea here, and because he's going to have a couple of children here in, right. the, in this first chapter. Yeah. So. Going through this, again, this is a lived-out example, right? And so he marries Gomer, and knowing who she is, and they have children. And, and their children are given names, descriptive names, to reflect something about Israel, right? Uh, and so what, let's, if we just go to the first one, the, name, the first one's named Jezreel, right? Um, because in a little while I will punish, and so, uh, or I will visit upon, and, and, and Jezreel uh, means God sows, uh, and so you know you sow something, you're going to reap what you mm. sow, right? <laughs> right? And so, because he says, for the blood of Jezreel, and I will I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and so we see, oh, this Israel's going to come to an end at some point because of this name. Then the next one. Uh, she bore a daughter, and, and to her, he named her Lo-Ruhamah, and, uh, and that means not pitied, for I will no longer have pity on the house of Israel or forgive them, but I will have pity on the house of Judah, and I will save them by Yahweh their God. And so we see that there's this split that, that's happening, that's happened, and, mm-hmm. and the Israel is not going to be remembered. Now, does this mean they never have the opportunity for forgiveness um, no, that's not. It's not talking about ultimate salvation here, but it is talking about that these northern tribes will never exist again as a nation. That's right. what that's referring to. Right um, now, we, and we, as we talked about, Judah, Judah's going to get taken to exile too, but they do get to return. Now they never return and are under self-rule, but they do kind of still exist and and have some kind of identity that Israel isn't going to have. Okay, yeah, and that yeah. becomes important as we as we keep. Yeah, going so the here. Lord call calls this one that he's no longer going to have compassion, but then he mm-hmm. does say in verse 7, I will have compassion on Judah and save them. So there's the, there's the contrast there between the two peoples. Right, right. right. Again, and again, we shouldn't read that as eternal salvation. Not at all. Okay? Right. But we're seeing what he's doing with them as a people um, and so forth. So, so then um, the next one is uh, she bore a son in verse 9. And he said to name him Lo Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Can you imagine that? I mean, just in contrast, I mean, that would be like, almost like me naming my son, you're not my son. Yes. Right? You're, you're not my people. That's, I mean, they, that's what they would call him. Can you imagine calling that person in for dinner? Yeah. I mean, they're, hey, <laughs> it's kind of strange. Here, not my son. Come, come to the dinner table. <laughs> yes. Yeah, really strange. Right. So that that's and, and so this is what you know is being referred to in Romans nine here. But we see if we take all three of these names together, they're all reflective of this. And so, as we think about this, one question I think we would ask is: Okay, when God made His covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it, my understanding, it extended to all 12 sons, and now we've got 10, you know, or 
nine. Well, it's ten. It's ten because yeah. we'll get to we'll get to why it's ten with Ephraim and and Manasseh, right? Because right. Because the Levites would be, you know, are almost like a, a whole other category, right, right, to some degree. But the point is, is that okay? They're not my people. Uh, how can God do this? Um, is does God break His promises? What's what's happening here? How do you process that in your in your head, Thad? Well, I mean, thankfully that we don't have to read too much further in Hosea till there is an answer for us. But seeing how we've been looking at Romans chapter 9, I don't know if you're going to go there next or if you're going to continue on to Hosea chapter 7. <laughs> or you've got a lot to cover here today. Well, yeah, I don't know that we'll get all through it. But, well, how about, you know, where's your brain taking you? Yeah, I mean, my brain has taken to, taken me to the point where it's just like these people have just lost their heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been, they've been told, you know, by the way, I, I mean, I, they've been told that, the Lord is going to separate from them. And yet he gives the reason because they've been unfaithful to the covenant, you know, so it's still on them. And so, and he's all, and he always is calling them. If you, if you will repent, right. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and repent, I'll take them back. And they don't do that. And this is, this is what the Lord knows is going to happen. But yet um, in this particular case, this is going to last generations while they're separated from the household of God. Right, right. And so to me, that that's kind of disturbing. But again, um, a separation of a covenant people is not the same as a separation from individuals from salvation. Right, yeah. And, and, and I think we need to also remember that even when we— I think we did this in previous podcasts. We go back to Deuteronomy, when we go back to Joshua, Leviticus, and when they were talking about the covenant or, the, or even the renewing of the covenant, these warnings were always given, and, and there was prophecy within those saying, "You're not. God knows they're not going to be faithful. You know, God knows that's going to happen. There's warnings. They know that mm-hmm. entering into this. You know, so um, so there was a conditionality to the covenant." in these things, but God, because of his hesed, his covenant faithful love, he's still going to find a way to bring him back, right? Uh, that's, that's what the Messiah is all about, okay? Uh, but as part of that, he, in part of his whole remolding process, he has to cut them off. He has to call them not my people. Right. And and he's completely justified in doing so. I mean, if we just jump down to like chapter two, verse thirteen, you know, we have a whole section here of, of all these reasons why. One of the big ones here is, "I will punish her for the days of the Baals, to whom she burns incense, and she decked herself with, with her an ornamental ring and jewelry, and she went after her lovers and forgot me." A declaration of Yahweh. And so, one of the the practices that always comes up especially in, in Israel, but also would creep down into Judah as well, because the kings themselves were doing this, um, but then all the peoples were the worship of the Baals, or, or, or Baal, or something mm-hmm. people say. And who was Baal? He was a god of the weather, the god of the rain, the storm, who would come in and basically believing, and with that comes fertility, right? And, 
and through the if you want to have good crops and you have lots of you know your your animals to have lots of of uh, more animals. There was this syncretistic belief. Oh, yeah, we can still worship God, but we want to worship Baal because he would help with our, our, our fertility right. and stuff. And what's interesting is they would build these shrines, and part of the Canaanite practice of these things was with these shrines, there would be these temple prostitutes. And they would go and give themselves to these prostitutes in believing that if they would lay with the prostitute, who was, who was kind of considered a sacred prostitute, in the, because of the shrine, that they would then become one with that God who would then bless them, you know, in this way. And so you can see that the whole, even that whole, even though it, that, that word prostitute isn't used here, it's the word whoredom, mm-hmm. but, that, but that whole idea is wrapped up in this. And so she decorates it with ornamental ring and jewelry, and she went after her lovers. That's, that's this whole thing is the is is they're taking the people as lovers in essence and they're giving themselves to god in that way right and so you get that whole picture that was very interesting i was actually doing a little bit of study of the word for female prostitute and and it's it's the word kadasha which it's very similar to the word kadesh which is holy you know the hebrew word for holy in the in the the Hebrew word for temple prostitute is is like just an extra letter. It's basically a corruption in some senses, you could say, or an addition onto the word holy. Right. And so, um, I just find I find that very fascinating when they when it's probably they, not a mistake. It's that, probably that's not like, a mistake right? that when they they when they came up. Well, with and the this word, is what this is what evil people do is they take what's holy. And corrupt it. And corrupt it. Exactly. You know? And that's what Baal is doing. Right. Right? And that's what the people are doing. They're giving themselves over to this corruption. And so that's why I think in, in, in some senses that's a, a way, one of the reasons he chooses to have Hosea marry Gomer. <laughs> right? Because that's what the people are doing. They're basically giving themselves to Baal in this way. And no. so... Oh. Uh, I, I I mean I I don't know exactly where you're going. I was going to try to take us back to Romans nine for a second and look at this. Um, and I don't want to get ahead of the game, but I, I think it'd be good to look at this now and then go back to Hosea for a second. But now that we know that he has that he's decided to no longer have compassion on his people through one child, and then he's got another child that's called not my people. Right. Right. When we go back and look at Romans 9, um, going back to uh, verse 24, he says, um, even us whom he called, not from among the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles, he also says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. Right. And who was not beloved, beloved. Right. So right here, uh, we are looking back, when we look back at Hosea, Oh, he is actually going to, he's actually talking about these people that he's sending off, right. that he's more or less divorcing, if you will, right? right. He, he's talking about those people, and this is how they're going to come in at the same time that he's also talking about among the Gentiles. Right. And remember, the Gentiles are the nations, and that's a little bit why I wanted to bring up this whole description of, of what's happening with Baal, is because what happened. When we brought this up in De- the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, and we talk about what happened to the Tower of Babel, when God gave the nations over and, d- and dispersed them, 
and he took Israel for himself, who did he give those other nations to? Yeah, the powers of principalities and dominions. The small g gods, right? right. And so the Gentiles, if, if, if in the Israeli mindset, in the people of God mindset, the Gentiles worship other gods. They're given over to them. They give themselves to those other gods. They're under the rule of those other gods, right? Well, what is Israel doing under Hosea? They're giving themselves to these other gods. This other god. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, they're, they're, they actually want it both ways, you know, because they still in some ways want to identify with Yahweh. But that's the point is that, that they are acting like Gentiles, they, they absolutely are. And this is what's neat about this prophecy um, given to Hosea, um, that it's not too many breaths later after God says that I'm not going to have compassion on you and you are no longer my people. And in, still in chapter 1, if we look at verses 10 and 11, he says, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. So there's this promise coming. And it will be in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people. It will actually be said to them that you are the sons of the living God. So we see, here's the restoration. So he's, you know, a few verses later after this divorce or that you're not going to be my people, Here, here's the restoration taking place. And then in verse 11, and the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. So um, there's the two different groups. Right. And they will be gathered together. And Romans 9 is telling us how that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and so it's happening because it's out of this people that he's going to call them back to himself, right? Mm-hmm. So first they have to be called not my people. <laughs> right. To then be, be be able to be called my people. So how what happened? We have to ask a question. What happened? What was the practical reality of God calling them not my people? Well, they were serving other gods. They well, well that was the, the cause, but the oh. consequence becomes... Well, they get the Assyrian attack. They get the Assyrian attack, and then they, they literally don't become his people anymore. The, the, the northern tribes of Israel, in, a, in some a very symbolic sense, but also in some very real sense, never exist again. Right. Right? They, get, they lose their identity. They lose their identi- identity... Uh, now, some you know we could have the whole Samaritan discussion, which would be another thing. But even, but even for Jews of, of Jesus' day, the Second Temple period, they would view Samaritans as Gentiles. Right? They would just be a specific type because they they were intermarried with the Gentiles, and so even so all those other tribes that are that are away, they're now Gentiles, effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the most part, I think we could say that you have the Levites, the Benjamites, and the Jew Judites. Which would all be Judah? Mm-hmm. They when they get carried off into exile in 586. They return 70 years later, um, still in spiritual exile to some extent. Because and, and not like, all of them return. And there's not all of them return. Right. As you know, like Paul's descendants didn't return yeah. probably, yeah. or if they did, they went off a later time. But the point is, is that uh, though, but they still have an identity. That Judah still has an identity. But the northern ten tribes don't anymore. They're just kind of lost to the nations. Right. Right. And that's and, and, and therefore and so they're not my people. And maybe it'd be worth mentioning that we are kind of learning now 
that this is where um, Judah and the Jews become a very prominent yeah. proclamation of who these people are. They're, they're all, it's basically all Jews now that, that we're talking about, but it's speaking of just those southern tribes because the other tribes have lost their identity. So Israel loses some of its characteristic in, in the writings from this yeah. period on. Right, right, yeah. So we need to, so one thing we need to ask ourselves is, you know, maybe moving forward is if God is going to restore Israel, save them, bring them to the Messiah, is he, is he now, is his plan now just for these, just for Judah? And, and because Judah's part of Israel, you know, can, if he, if the Jews, some of the Jews come to faith, you know, like, like Paul, like other Jews at the day of Pentecost, right? Come to faith. And, and Jews are coming to faith. Is that, is that the plan for Israel? Is that, okay, well, Israel's getting saved through Judah. Um, is, that, is that what's going to happen? Or does he have a plan to actually bring all, ten, all 12 tribes back? Right, and I would, I, I would venture that the proper interpretation is that we should not be waiting for this to happen some time down the road, but this is part of the influx as the gospel goes forth to the nations to gather all peoples, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, of which Israel is integrated into, right. unto himself. So that's, uh, this is a through history thing since Jesus Christ took the throne. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and so I think, it, it, and is that what's coming out here? As we as we keep kind of working ourselves through Romans, is that going to be coming out? As I think, he, uh, yeah. As he talks about, like in Romans ten, he says, "Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that, that they may be saved." Is he now? Um, he's is he just talking about the Jews here, or is he talking about all Israel? Right. That becomes important because there are times he he because he, he's been talking about you know he wants his fellow Jews to be saved, but now he's been also talking about. Israel, and he quotes Hosea, which is, Hosea is written not to Judah, although Judah's mentioned at times. Mentioned, it's mentioned, it, it's, it's written to the northern tribes, right? Um, if we think about, uh, if we think about the new covenant, I mean, at some point we need to get to Jeremiah 31 and start looking at Jeremiah, because the new covenant, he specifically says in there, it's for Israel and Judah, mm-hmm. right? He even references Ephraim at times in there. You know, so it seems to be that that God in his in his thinking of these things is is getting to a, a bigger plan uh, and so forth. And so I think quickly, I just like us to because I don't want to spend a, a whole lot of time in Romans ten. I want to get to eleven and, and get us. I think I don't think we're going to get to Genesis forty eight today. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for you know asking some of the philosophical theological you know questions, but. You you make me do that, Thad. <laughs> I'm glad right. those those doctrines so, are important. Yeah. So, but what is he doing in Romans 10? Um, he starts talking about uh, in in his desire, feeling compelled to preach the gospel and why it, this message of salvation is going to all right. Uh, so, and he relates it actually back to Deuteronomy in this. He when he when he says. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. 
But the righteous, based on faith, he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Uh, he's, he's actually quoting the Torah <laughs> here. Uh, uh, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's getting back to the whole issue of the heart, which Paul, which uh, Moses is bringing up in terms of the they need to be circumcised of heart, not just of flesh. So Paul is drawing that out here, and he's he's saying that he's wanting people to believe with their heart, and that's why they're justified. And then, and then out of the justification that comes through faith by the heart, then the mouth will confess that one is saved, right? And so he he's drawing all this back into this, and then he and then. Out of that, he says, how will they call on him who they've not believed? How will they believe on him who they've never heard? And then he gets out, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, which is, which is from Isaiah. But why is he saying all this? Well, he's saying, this is why we're going into the Gentile world. We're going into the Gentile world to proclaim the good news of the gospel right. because it's not unrelated to Israel. Because Israel is out there in the Gentile world. We've got to go preach this for all, for as, as we'll get to, I think, maybe hopefully next week as we start getting into Romans 11, mm-hmm. right? Is that he's, his, he says that all Israel is going to be saved. Yeah, and how's that work? How's yeah. that work? Wow. But, what, but it goes through the preaching of the gospel to the good news that needs to go out there. Uh, so, uh, but before we get there, I do want us. I think maybe we'll start off next time going back to Genesis 48 because I think w- what we... Well, I think so. I think that makes sense because we need to learn about Ephraim. We need to learn about Ephraim. And what's this whole language of the nations and why is, it, why is Ephraim related to it? Because right. we see that doesn't just happen in Hosea, although in Hosea 7... In chapter 7, it, chapter talks, about- <laughs> seven, it talks about Ephraim being mixed with the nations. I think it's verse 9 of, of Hosea... Seven that uh, he says, or verse eight, uh, Ephraim mixes himself with the nations, and so God is is working all this out, and and hopefully we'll come to see it more clearly as we get to as we get through to this. But the the whole argument of Romans nine to eleven that we, it, it is flowing together is incorporating, I believe. Israel and the Gentiles and the preaching of the gospel and this whole notion, even as he gets into in Romans 11, of the jealousy of Israel and the jealousy of Jews of the Gentiles. What's that all about? Uh, well, a lot of it is is just to draw out the clarity of the need for a Messiah, but it also is, I think, unveiling this plan of God that he's had from all the way back in Genesis 48 for this plan for Ephraim and his descendants uh, to be part of his solution and all, and all these things. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think we need to wait till next week to get there. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Uh, sounds good. Hey, you know what? Why don't you um, say a prayer for us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me do that. Uh, Lord, I, I uh, come to you with gratefulness, knowing that you um, have a deep commitment and love for your creation, for your people, and how you're working all these things out. And even as I pray, I, I'm thinking about the words at the beginning that that and I were talking about in terms of 
sometimes feeling like in, in this discussion we're muddying the waters. <laughs> and it may even felt a little bit like that today. But I pray, Lord, for your spirit, that your spirit is not a spirit of confusion, but a spirit of clarity. Uh, you're a, a God of, who reveals his word to us through your spirit. And so I pray that as we continue to discuss this, as we uh, continue to try to work towards a conclusion and as we continue to wrestle with this, that even as our listeners are wrestling with, this, with the scriptures, that we would um, rely upon your spirit. And we would not rely upon it apart from the body of Christ, apart from the doctrines and teachings of the church, apart from your scriptures, but we would, we would do it in harmony altogether. And, and our prayer is that this all would, we would see that there is one harmonious message coming clear through your scriptures, Old Testament to New, that are summed up in Jesus. And so would you help us with that? Help our listeners with that? And and we depend upon you, uh, the God of of Revelation, who uh, has shown clearly your purposes in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Next time, we'll look at Jacob's blessing over Joseph's boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, and the salvation of all Israel. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.